Hello, and welcome back. Welcome back for another episode. This one is... My number one movie that's on this entire season. Really? Yep. And we're doing it now, not like ending the series off with it, or... I thought of ending the series off with it, but we're ending the series on my second favorite. Um, Okay. I wanted... I knew you weren't... I have a very strong feeling that you're not going to like the one we're going to end the series on. Because it's, it's, All right. it's schmaltzy and yeah, but that's a few weeks from now. So that's neither here nor there. Today we're going to watch Dirty Dancing. We talked about this in another podcast and I said that the first time I saw this movie, I was six years old. I didn't understand some of the mature themes of it at the time. But I did immediately love it. Patrick Swayze was the perfect man in every way. To your six-year-old heart. To my six-year-old heart, yes. Again, I didn't understand all of the themes of the movie. And while Patrick Swayze isn't a bad guy, like while Johnny Castle isn't a bad guy, he's not the perfect guy in every way. But to my six-year-old heart, I immediately fell in love with Patrick Swayze. I started trying to learn how to dance. I cannot dance. I am sorry to the world and anybody who has ever had to see me dance for the natural disaster that occurred before you. However, I will never hate this movie. I have had other episodes where I've been able to look at the movie with my 2020 eye and say, it just doesn't stand up. You don't think that's going to happen this time around? I've thought about this. I really did. And I don't because even when, even when Dirty Dancing was made in the eighties, you know, it was already looking at it through a, this is archaic and these beliefs are archaic eye. So it did already feature it in a more, Let's look at it better way. And the way those certain ideas, those problematic ideas, we still kind of look at them the same way. It's a fight that's been happening for years and years and years, and it's never going to go away. So yeah, I do think it kind of stands up. I do think I'm going to look at this and I'm going to say, I'm proud of her. And I'm proud of him. And I love this movie. You have absolutely no idea what any of what I am talking about means. Yep. Yep. Because when I told Monsieur Alberto that we were going to be watching Dirty Dancing, he said, wait, the good one or the old one? For those who don't know, by the good one, he's referring to Havana Nights with uh, Ramala Garay and Diego Luna. We are not watching that one. However, I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. I just didn't want to include any sequels within the season. I do want to kill ya for saying the old one and not the good one. I mean, it is old. Wasn't it released in, like, 87? It, it, it is old. However, it it is a classic that won't age. Okay. All right. I... 
We'll see. I know. And I'm sure that there are some people out there that are not going to agree with me. And there's a large possibility that you're not going to agree with me because it turns out we don't have the same taste in romance movies. But when I say that it's a classic that doesn't age, I mean, look at other classics such as Gone with the Wind or I'm trying to think of like, I can only come up with Gone with the Wind, but like so many Dumbo. Dumbo itself does not stand the test of time, and it is a classic love movie that they just remade, thankfully taking out the crows. Who were actually named Jim and Ro- Like, I can't. Anyway, some classics just don't stand up. From the best of my memory, I can't recall any seriously overt racism. That's because there were no colored people in this movie. Maybe one black dude in the party scene? It's possible, but at the same time, look, diversity in film wasn't that big a thing back then. Stop smirking. I am going to... I'm not smirking. While there is not a presence of the people of color in this movie that there should be, there wouldn't really have been a presence of people of color at a Jewish camp in the Berkshires. However, there is a very strong Jewish presence within the movie. Many of the cast, they're at a Jewish summer family camp. So there is diversity in that sense. There's not diversity in the sense that there are people of color, but you wouldn't expect for there to be a large population of people of color in that setting anyway. Sometimes I wish we did this on video. One, so people could see the expression on his face go from the smirk at the beginning to begrudging acceptance of what I said at the end. Because you could see the entire transition. And also, you'd understand why sometimes our cuts and then we come in with way different energy. Like, I'm laughing. Because we have animals jumping and digging claws into us and have to stop. It's hilarious. I'm not begrudgingly accepting. Not accepting. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I have no rebuttal. Aw. You can make up anything you want and have the ending come out a certain way, but without knowledge, I can't counteract that. So I'm putting a pin in that for now, and we can circle back at the end of the movie. But anyways, this is an old movie. It came out in 1987. Mm-hmm. It is directed by Emile Ardolino. Ooh, I like that name. And written by Eleanor Burstein. Bernstein? I'm going to say Bergstein. Bergstein. And written by Eleanor Bergstein. So we've got a woman writer again. Yay! It's like, what, three for five at this point? Yeah, we're doing good. Apparently romance is where we're finding women so far. I'm really looking forward to couple seasons from now when we go into action 
and see like a female presence in there, I'd love to see a really strong female presence in like action. We'll see how that goes. Yes, but again, neither here nor there. Well, I guess a teaser for, like, a couple seasons from now. Maybe. Just because we've already got our next couple seasons figured out, so. Either way, we have starring in the movie Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. Uh, Gary Orbach, Cynthia Rhodes, Jake Weston. Who else we got? That would be definitely Jack Weston. Oh, okay, well, I'm not wearing my glasses right now. They wouldn't know because we're not on video, but. So, uh, Matt, Jack Weston plays Max Kellerman. So he is the MC of the whole thing. Um, then we have Jane Bruckner, Kelly Bishop as baby's mom, Lonnie Price. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers it for top build. Yeah. I mean, besides Kelly Bishop, Jerry Orbach, Patrick Swayze, and Jennifer Grey, I don't think a lot of these people would be known today. Are I, they even in that movie? In this movie, like from every trailer reference to this movie, it's always the two of them dancing and no, Patrick they're, Swayze they're, getting angry at the dad and being like, no one puts baby in the corner. And that's all I know. There's many characters and a couple different story arcs throughout the movie, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, that is our cast. If we want to talk about the moolah, it had a budget of $6 million Back in 87. Back in 87. So an important thing to note, because even in 87, $6 million, that's a really low budget. That's kind of looking at like what Palm Springs was, right? So Dirty Dancing was an independent movie. Was it? It was. That is why it had such a low budget. And... Not the most known opening weekend. It's opening weekend. It only made $3.9 million. It did not make up its budget. But then it was the sleeper hit. The sleeper hit. Everybody saw this movie. Everybody loved this movie. In North America, it grossed. $64,577,000. $64,577,000. In 1987. That is like, what, octupling its budget? It's also $158 million in today's money. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. Yeah. This is probably the most successful movie and we watched if you go by budget yeah. to profit. It is the most profitable movie. Uh, don't forget yeah. that that's only North America gross. Yes. It, when you bring in when you bring in worldwide, we are blowing everything out of the water. I don't even know if I could do the math to how much percentage above the budget it actually is. In 1987 money it made worldwide 214 million $577,000. That is $526.6 billion. No, 
million. It's half a billion dollars. Thank you. I thought I saw an extra yeah, comma before yeah. the decimal. Yeah. No, it's... In today's money, this movie made half a billion dollars on roughly $10 million worth of budget. Yeah. This is the most profitable movie we have watched yet, and probably one of the most profitable movies we will watch at all. Yeah, we should get Neil to do up a chart or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe keep track of that. Mm-hmm. And I want you to know before we go into the watch or anything, because this isn't special trivia that is nobody knows about. This is a very well-known thing. The dance scene? No, no, no. Oh. This is very well-known by anybody who watched the movie back then or has loved the movie since. The acting is so superb, and that's one of the things that draws you in. And I want you to think about while you're watching the movie that Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze hated each other with a passion so firmly that if the cameras weren't rolling, they wouldn't even look at each other. That's very professional of them. Interesting. And yet they produced one of the most beloved couples and movies of ever. For that it didn't get a sequel for so long. Because you know how sequels always suck? It didn't get a sequel for so long because nobody wanted to destroy that. And then when it did get a sequel, they got Patrick Swayze to be in it. So it just validated everything. Because Patrick Swayze isn't just an actor. Patrick Swayze is a professional ballroom dancer as well. So he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. He sang one of the songs for the movie. And in the music video, he's dancing so beautifully with this woman. And that woman is his wife. And because she... And he were a ballroom dance team. And it's just, yes. Everything about dirty dancing led millennial women and girls, as they were then, but are women now, down this road of Patrick Swayze being the dream and the ideal. Okay. He was the bad boy who was a, I can't, I can't. I love Patrick Swayze. May he forever rest in peace. Moving on. The tagline for this film is... Oh, perfect. The tagline for this movie is perfect. The tagline for, for Dirty Dancing is... Have the time of your life. The tagline for Dirty Dancing is... Have the time of your life. You do not understand why that's perfect, do you? No, I understand. I know the song. It's okay, that, good. You know, two people saying, I've had the time of my life, but... Dude, it's one summer. Like, come on. I don't even think it's a summer, is it? It's like, what, three days? Three days at summer camp? Jewish summer camp? It's a whole summer. Alright. Still. You... I'm bitter. Yeah. 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 But 
so my understanding for this movie, and, you know, skipping right over your pre-movie questions and all that, is a summer camp, a dance instructor, a underage little girl. Not underage. Eh, underage little girl. Not underage. Why is she at a summer camp with her parents? Because it's a family camp! Mm. Mm. She has just graduated high school, getting ready to go into college. Mm. Anyways. And has an older sister in her 20s who's also there with them. Not Freeloading, then. Maybe so. However, not a minor, and that is a very important distinction for me. Okay, alright, okay. We will be watching for the age of this girl in this movie. Anyways, guy who is too old, girl who is too young, summer camp, like three weeks, and some a dance competition. That is my understanding of this movie. That is it. Bam. In a nice little box. Time of your life? Yeah, okay. It could be the time of your life. But there is so much more. And now that you've said, oh, she just graduated. You know, it's like... She just graduated. Oh, there's like so much more in her life to look forward to. That doesn't include Crystal Moon or Johnny Sticks or whatever you said his name was. Johnny Castle. Johnny Castle, thank you. Okay. I feel like you and Baby's dad would get along really well. But I am not going to begrudge you your opinion because as I was sitting here wanting to just jump on you and shut you up it immediately dawned on me that like i don't think this is an opinion of you and me i think this is a general like opinion of gender i think and i don't even know what i mean by that i i was just sitting here and you were going through such legitimate reasons for why it doesn't make sense and i'm sitting here in a very idealistic young girl romance bubble thing with you know it's kind of like a summer awakening it's she's not it's not she's being taken advantage of it's not anything icky and gross but there, it's more of like a a girl who realizes that she isn't a girl anymore, and now she's a woman, and she has that awakening, and it's the first love that has led her that she gets to look the first positive love experience that molds her into who she is and leads her down the rest of her life. Like everybody looks back at that one first amazing boy that she loved, right? That's how I see it. In, like, such an idealistic, young, romantic, little girl way. And you're just looking at it in such a logical way. And for such a logical person as myself, I hate it. Because Dirty Dancing lives in the world where I it's am a still movie, sweet essentially. and young and innocent yeah. and everything is possible. Yeah, you're, you're viewing at it from a romance point of view, where we can say the creepy dude standing outside your window is not creepy. He's romantic. Hmm. Yeah, see, me, that guy's creepy. Yeah, the guy who keeps chasing the girl after he says no, he's not creepy or possessive. He is endearing. See, 
I don't like romance movies for I this can, reason. I can give you reassurances that will not happen in the central role relationship of this movie. Why? Because the two actors hate each other? No, because that's not how they come to be. It's not him chasing her. We will and it's see. Not, and it's not, it's not like a, I don't want you go away, I'm going to convince you to be with me thing. It is not that at all. You saw... Okay. Baby and Johnny's relationship is very much... Very much like the relationship in Havana Nights. I watched that in my first year of college, trying to impress a girl. So, I'm not remembering that movie. I just know it's better. Because it's Spanish. (laughs) It gives a far too idealized version of where it is, and that is a problem. But... Mm -hmm. Alright, well, you know what? Like, I don't... I hate this line, but legitimately, we're going to have to agree to disagree for now. You have far too much knowledge and background attachment to this movie. And I, aside from maybe a trailer here or there, and, geez, maybe a couple of funny little skits off of Family Guy, have zero knowledge about this movie. Aside from there's one dance scene that was... Not supposed to be in the movie, but they were having fun, and they just kept this cameras rolling and it made it into the movie. That's all I know. I don't know what scene, but... I'll tell you when we get to it. Yeah, so... Like, you got you got questions? Are we going to watch a movie? What's up? I do have questions. There's obviously questions. You... We're not even going to go with the have you seen this question, obviously. It's a no. I'm going to start with, there is... It was teased to you as we were watching Overboard, another movie with not great themes, that there was going to be another movie I was going to have you watch that had a really problematic storyline that is very touchy even today. Do you know, can you guess what it is? Underage romance. No. Romance. It's not manipulation and stuff like that. No, it's an uh, actual hot button issue. Issue. I'm going to slow walk you down so you don't have to do a whole bunch of guesses. Thank you. It was illegal in the 50s. Texas just made it illegal. And it invalidates a woman beyond belief. This is this a pro-choice thing? It is a pro-choice uh, thing. Okay, okay. There is a very central storyline about that in this movie. Okay. All right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. No, it's not Baby and Johnny. All right. (laughs) Uh, You know me so well, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I don't like that. (laughs) Uh, Next question. Beckdale test. Really? Are we only going to do two questions? I don't know. You, you long paused. I... Well, because i got to think of a question. I'm coming, like... Unscripted. Yes. See, that's when you remind the audience we are completely unscripted. I forgot we were getting together today, so I had nothing prepared. 
Um. All right. Well, you've made your thoughts, preconceived thoughts, pretty clear. So with those thoughts, do you think they're going to end up together? No. Or would you want them to end up together? No. No, this is a... God, I feel so cynical sitting here thinking about this movie and everything and this entire season because I feel I feel like a bitter old man who didn't find love type thing. But no, no, I don't think they end up together. I don't think they should end up together. I think this quote unquote relationship ends three minutes after the end of the last song. Okay. They had the time of their life and now they're done. It cuts, fades to black, and that's it. Well, we can never really know what happens after it fades to black. I'm just saying. And we know that Patrick Swayze is in the second one. But where's Baby? That is her real name. <laughs> it doesn't work! I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. Anyways. <laughs> I can answer that for you, though. He's not Johnny in the second movie, and the time frames wouldn't work for him to be very old in a movie made five years before Dirty Dancing took place. He's not Johnny in Dirty Dancing 2. Hmm. And the reason... Well, then. The reason why it was him in Dirty Dancing and not Jennifer Grey, to my best guess would be that Jennifer Grey stopped dancing after Dirty Dancing for a very long time because she was also a dancer. Not a ballroom dancer or anything, but everybody expected her to be baby and she lost her passion for it. And it wasn't until she appeared on and won Dancing with the Stars where she found her passion for dance again. Okay. Go ahead. Write me how this movie wouldn't be gross, in your opinion. What do you mean, how it wouldn't be gross? Well, you've got some pretty preconceived ideas already going in of what this movie is going to be. You've already written a movie in your head that doesn't <laughs> exist. So now write me a movie that wouldn't be to you. Johnny and Baby have to know each other before the summer. That would alleviate so much ick in my brain. Right? Even if Johnny is an instructor, if they had a pre-connection, high school, you know, year one, college, whatever. But do you know what? To me, I'm sorry, but I think that makes it a little bit grosser. Why? How? Because then she's having a romance with an older person who knew her as a younger person. And that is icky to me. That is like, I'm just kind of waiting until I can get in there. No, no. Uh, hold up. I said, like, high school students, like, classmates type of thing. Okay, but there's already, we've already established she's an instructor, so there's already an age gap. So they can't have gone to school you together. Could, no, you could totally be an instructor for swimming classes. You only need to take, like, six classes before you can be a lifeguard. 
Do you know how long those swimming classes okay, take? So there wouldn't have to be an age gap, and they'd there, have to yeah. have a pre-established knowledge of one another. Yeah, yeah, because if there's no pre-established knowledge, then it's literally just a hookup. Okay, but are age gaps really that wrong in adult no, relationships? absolutely not. However, she is borderline underage, so an age gap in that sense is a little wronger. I, Even with those, like, special Romeo and Juliet laws and things like that, that, you know, kind of, like, wash that away as long as, as they gotten, were together. As I've gotten older, I have found age gaps to be a little ickier before your brain is fully developed. Yes. You can do whatever you want with your life after your brain is fully developed. So I get that. And I'll concede that. Yeah, so... However, it's a movie and not based on a true story, so I find it a little less... I would find it... No, what I'm saying is, if Dirty Dancing were based on a true story and there were really a baby and there were really a Johnny and there were really like a we're going to assume that she's 18 and he's at least 25, 26. If there were really a relationship with an 18 year old and a 26 year old in real life, I would have found it icky. Yeah. But because it's a movie, I guess I've been able to like, suspend reality. Yes. Yes. Because it's not based on truth in this sense. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I will concede that point too. And I won't fight you on that one. Yeah. Okay, without any actual knowledge on this movie, and just going off of what I've written in my head from the pop culture that I know of this movie to stitch together, that would make the movie in my head a lot less ickier. Connections between the two characters beforehand, smaller age gap, probably like colleagues. Oh man, you can tell I'm old. I don't even use classmates. I went right to colleagues. Classmates... I think I'm going to I'm going to ask Neil if he can to put this back in the age gap part. One other reason I think I'm able to suspend reality within that age gap relationship is the point in time in which it's located. So it was in the 50s. In the 50s, that was more normal. That was and it was very socially acceptable. I, I, my grandparents were in age gap relationship. And I cannot. Pretty quit. sure everyone's grandparents were age gapped at some point. Well, yeah, but it was such a, it, I'm going to share it because it was so sweet. My grandmother and my grandfather have both shared this story with me. And it's just a really sweet story. They met at a, barn dance when my grandma was 14 and my yes stop making the face and my grandfather was 19 and she was immediately smitten and he thought she was cute as a button nothing gross about cute as a button and he told her you are far too young you go ahead and you send me a letter when you turn 16 on her 16th birthday, she wrote him, and they were married when she was 17. My mom was born when they were, when she was 23. <clears throat> yeah. And they didn't have 
not the greatest relationship in the world. They they divorced when my mom was a teenager, but they remarried when I was um, seven. And one of my favorite things in the world is that I get to say I was at my grandparents' wedding. Mm. 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 So they were a little bit just... And all of that, just to say, yes, like, taking the time, time period into consideration as well, an age gap relationship is less icky. Okay. All right. Now, just to counterpoint, not start fights or anything, but just Mm -hmm. point out something that was said earlier in this episode and other episodes, looking at this movie through the lens and the eyes of a 2022 person. Mm-hmm. That's icky. It is. It L- is. And I apologize. Looking at your grandparents as well. Through the eyes of 2022. Icky. I would like to point out that through the eyes of 1950 whatever when they met. The age of consent in Canada was 13 years old. So my grandpa was a very chivalrous. I'm just saying. Again, <laughs> not starting fights, not not picking sides or nothing, but through the eyes of 2022. But if we go back on a lot of our grandparents and a lot of our great-grandparents, that's the story for a lot of them. Is It's a little icky. Yes. How they... Yeah, no, 100%. I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. I'm, I'm agreeing with that point. Like my but again, just looking mother... at it from our new lens... Of this woke culture and everything. Well, I know. So many icky things happen. So many icky things happen. My great-grandmother wanted to marry a poor farmer, and she came from a little bit of a wealthier family. And her dad didn't want her to do it. And so she went and got pregnant, so she was allowed to, essentially trapping a man into marrying her. Like, icky things happened, of course. But back in this movie... Watching this movie through 2022, that's still icky. Let's go watch a movie because I don't want to, like, die on this hill without watching the movie. I'm not going to make you die on any hills. I have been very accepting of your opinions throughout, I should like to believe. I don't always agree with them, but I don't sit here and go, you're wrong, you're dumb, it's over. Like, oh, I hear that in my head all the time. Like, the worst thing that happened was we got into a little tiff over freaking Marvel. Yeah, because it was the Hulk, actually. The Hulk. Thank yeah, you. and I don't even know if that even made it into the episode. I think Neil cut all of that. But anyways, next question. Final question. Oh, okay. Oh, Beckdale. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wait. Mm. No. Maybe. No. 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 Based on my head movie and everything you've said, particularly one phrase about 15 minutes ago, a summer awakening. I think that everything that's going to come out of this girl's mouth is going to be like, ooh, Johnny, and her dad's going to be like, Stay away from Johnny. And then she's going to be talking to her sister. Oh, Johnny's so good. That sounds creepy. But, you know, ooh, Johnny's so 
nice and Johnny's so chivalrous, blah, 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 Johnny. Because Ooh, she's Alberto's a... so wrong. Okay, I don't remember 100%. Passes the first two. I cannot remember if it passes the conversation. But again... And, uh, in, as far as I can think, just trying to put... It was made in the 80s. It's about the 50s. There are overarching or like different storylines throughout. But again, just putting it in my head because I can't remember this time. I think it's going to be kind of like Palm Springs where if it happens, it's going to happen kind of accidentally within like a two second of frame. All right, that's fine. That's cool. Let's go find out. All right. And we're back, and it was perfect. Absolutely <laughs> perfect. Uh, you say so. We're going to start already. Okay. What do you think? I think this is the first pure romantic movie we've seen all season. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of laughs. Maybe a little bit more dramatic than, you know, but... Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe I'm just off this week. Maybe something's in retrograde and it's affecting my astrology sign. It's just like, that relationship's not gonna last. And as romantic as like everything was. Oh, also, it started off as a flashback. In the car, you hear her saying that that was the summer that, you know, right before I went off to the Peace Corps and blah, blah, blah. And then never again flashback. Like, Well, no, it was just her introducing the story. And then she doesn't in narrate. In flashback but, form. No, it's not. A, it's a narration form of like, this was my summer. But so it's okay that I guess she doesn't come back. Like, maybe it could have ended with, with like, like a flashback and be like, we're not a flashback, like her narration again and mm-hmm. be like, and that was the summer of 1969, and all these amazing things happened, and then me and Johnny went and got married. Or some junk like that. I don't know. Of course she and Johnny didn't go and get married. No. Johnny is homeless and paycheckless, and his truck has a hole in it, or car, Cadillac, whatever. Remember when I said, as an adult, I see Johnny's not perfect? Remember when I said that? Yeah, okay. All right. (laughs) No. And I didn't, I didn't say this earlier because I didn't want to lead anything in, but of course Johnny's not meant to be her forever. And it maybe sounds callous when I say this, but some people are brought into your life to serve a purpose. Some love is brought into your life to serve a purpose. He was the first person who brought her out of the, my dad rules the world to my dad is fallible. He was the first person that introduced her to love. Now, does that mean that your first has to be your forever? Of course not. But there is a special place for your first. All right. Yeah, okay. Now that makes sense. They were not. This was not the movie of people who were obviously going to end up together. But, like, we will be watching movies like that. There will be movies where it's like, oh my gosh, she's so damaged and he's so damaged and they fix each other and 
because they fix each other, you can see how strong their relationship truly is going to be. There will be one movie like that, for sure. And I hold that movie very deeply in my heart. It's a fabulous movie, and it's newer. Um, but this movie isn't that. This movie is telling the story of that man who came into your life that one summer and helped you to open yourself up to who you truly were, to who you were meant to be. And she did the same. She did the same for him. I bet you Johnny Castle was not the same after that summer with baby and his aspirations and all of those things. And he probably went on and had a family and thought fondly back on baby who made such a radical change in his life and led him to who he was meant to be. Yeah, okay. Alright, fine. I concede. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've had a concession yet. Um, with that in mind, another important thing that we're going to note right off the bat, it did pass the Bechdel test within the first minute of the movie, but it was... I'm pretty sure by total accident and just a throwaway line about shoes. mom, did I pack enough shoes? Yeah. So yeah, it does pass by basic standards, but not by my standards because it is such a stereotypical line and women care more than just about their shoes for a weekend. I have a great deal of appreciation for the fact that you had no idea about Bechdel before I brought it to you. Probably, like, a, only a general awareness of women in film and, and the roles that they have. I throw it at you in one movie, and you run with it to the extent that now just passing isn't good enough for you. They need to pass on substance. Yeah. Which <laughs> I really appreciate. I do. I appreciate that coming from you who had no idea about it, that now you have such high standards. I do. Well, you know, we're, we have a movie podcast. Like, we got to be educated about these things. I'm not going to go to film school and talk to you about composition, because no one cares about composition. We care about the hard-hitting things, like Bechdel. Exactly. So. Was it the last podcast? Did I talk about that documentary on the last podcast? Yes, you did. Yeah. So even as I was saying on like the last episode, everybody's finding more awareness of this now. However, since we're talking about documentaries that are important watches, because I do think that documentary, which I'm trying to remember what it's called now. I cannot remember what it's called, but I watched a new one. This Changes Everything. That one was called This Changes Everything. And I watched a new one this week that was all about people of color in films. I love the documentary. I, I love how much attention is being shed on the communities who are not getting the equal representation and the fair representation that they deserve that isn't based on stereotypes. And I love that we're shining lights on that now. There was a documentary released two years ago uh, called Rita Morena, just a girl who decided to go for it. Another really fabulous one. And she talks about how difficult it was being 
a Latina in Hollywood and that there were no roles for her. So they made her the indigenous woman and like muddy makeup. And she literally felt her soul breaking every time she had to do that. And I think things like that to watch what women and people of color or women, people of color have had to go through just to be where they are today, sort of recognized is really important. So the fact that you are taking that one little thing, you have decided that it is important to you as well. It just, it touches me in like, it hits my feels in a really positive way. See, I don't just fangirl on celebrities. Sometimes I fangirl on my friend too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, now let's, let's cut there so I can go, you know, gotta stop blushing. So now that you've seen the movie, now that within five minutes, all those preconceived ideas you had were kind of like blown out of the water a little bit. Not the age gap. That's still, you know, that's a legitimate thing. But she wasn't just this girl that was being chased and pressured and taken advantage of. She had a voice and... Like, she didn't mind yelling back at people. She stood up for the things that mattered at a time when something was taboo, forbidden, and completely illegal. She did what she believed was right to help somebody that she believed needed help. Damn the consequences. Which isn't always the best train of thought. But... She is the person who always stood up for what she thought mattered. And I thought that these characters were real, three-dimensional, fallible characters. Yeah, I'll give you that. Like, the characters themselves, they weren't stereotyped, romantic. I mean, they were a little stereotyped romantic. But there were, like, Johnny... Johnny? Yeah. Johnny, uh... Johnny gets accused of being the, uh... I don't know the right way to say that. The partner? The knocker-upper? Yeah. We'll say the guy who got her in trouble. Yeah, he, okay, He's accused of being the baby's father. You know what? We don't need to be 1950s taboo. <laughs> he's accused of being... A, um, Penny's lover, lover, and, and the baby's father, yes. and then just sloughing his responsibilities off yeah. like it's nothing. Which I thought was interesting that the the baby's father didn't necessarily dislike the fact that it was everything. It was that you got her pregnant, but it was also that you just sent her to a butcher to deal with your problem. Granted, he was wrong and everything, but I thought that showed a certain kind of, you could see where his protection of baby was coming from, even if, you know, it's, he was fallible. He was a human. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah. Thank you. No, I was going to say that Johnny, he took everything that the father said to heart. You know, like, he didn't really have any sort of change in his character until the father kind of, you know, tore into him. Then he started... Then Baby also, on top of that, you should stand up for yourself and etc. 
But it wasn't until the father got involved, you know, a quote-unquote real father figure who raised his daughter to be a stand-up gal or whatever he said to him. Like, it wasn't until, like, around that time that he kind of started to change. Before that, he was okay with everything. Like, there's progression, there's development in these characters. They're not just there to be the pretty dance boy. They they grow. Even the sister. She went from, you know, ditzy, did I bring enough shoes, to I'm gonna give myself to that guy, to supporting her sister right at the end. It's true, but I think you miss also in the moment that that growth was letting baby in to comfort her too. It was a really sweet moment between them. It was. Right, where, it was. Where but they had this. It was growth. It That's was. what I'm saying. Like this. Even I, if I don't like the movie, these characters were three dimensional, as you said, and they had proper growth. They had an arc, and with, they grew. With the exception of Baby's mom. Even her, she kind of like. There's no growth for a forty year old. <laughs> Y'all, I'm, I'm very close to the age where I can't grow anymore. Oh my lord, what am I going to do? Uh, what I mean is that she's done her growing. She's... <laughs> How do I say this properly <laughs> without Neil cutting all of this? She is a well-rounded character from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay? When... We first introduced her, she's in the car, and her daughter says, did I bring enough shoes? And then her mother doesn't, you know, take one way or another. She just says, you know, you have enough, you overthought it, whatevs, it's all good, move on, right? And then when she's golfing with her husband, she's not, like, eye candy or anything. She's like, just, oh, you know, what am I doing wrong? Like, she's, yeah, she's learning to golf and growing in that manner, but... They were always kind of like a partnership, you know, when he goes and he does the operation in the middle of the night, she wakes up, oh, what happened? Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's fine. Go back to bed. All right, cool. Like, she wasn't that big of a character, but there's no need for her to grow because she was probably the most well-rounded character from the beginning. That's a really interesting and fair way to look at it. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to incorporate that into my canon of the film. Yeah. Feel free. <laughs> so this is sort of a dangerous question because it never goes my way when I ask. And I don't think it will this time, but I have to ask anyway. Did you like it? I didn't not like it, and I didn't love it. I enjoyed it. There's been very few that you've even enjoyed, so I'm going to take that as a win. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. Like I said, the characters were pretty, like, they had arcs, they had growth. I mean, you could totally tell it was a 1950s movie, right, with the costume, or costume design, yeah, with the wardrobe. And the music, even though it was 1950s, the music was still progressed a little bit more around that 70s, 80s, you know. It, It wasn't like old old but it wasn't new age right for like 1987 like all those soundtracks bangers 
Right. This, this is an amazing soundtrack. For yeah. Sure. And you can totally tell this is all a romance movie. These arms of mine, you know, had the time of your life. She's like the wind. What could Hungry I ever do? Eyes. Hungry eyes. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a full on romance movie soundtrack. And if I were an adult at that time, that was definitely on like the A track or whatever. During uh, adult nights, you know, soundtrack was good. Uh, Storyline, eh, eh. But the characters well developed. Not too many big holes, right? Except for like Johnny's cousin. I felt like he might have had like a bigger role because at the beginning he brought Baby in, and then. I think they Him were leading up at the beginning that Baby was going to have to choose between one of the three guys, and they just kind of let him fall to the edge. Yeah, and then he did doesn't appear again until the last dance when he's dancing with the sister. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that was maybe a oops, loose end type of thing. But again, I mean, 80s, so, like, the movie is only, like, what, 120 minutes? Like, it's a, it's a short movie compared to nowadays. I have a general question um, for myself that I'd like to put out to you during this catch-up, as well as any non-binary male or person else who feels like answering. There is that scene in the kitchen right before Baby catches uh, Penny crying when she's with the guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, the... Creepy guy. And really creepy smile. Yes. He's talking like, oh, I took a guy away from this girl, or I took a girl away from this guy. And he's like, well, what does he have that I don't? She said two boats and a yacht or something. I can't remember what it... But it was about his money. And I was like, I had to question, in general, of the male... Because it's hard to generalize one gender. I feel bad even asking. Is that a thing? Do you really... Do some men use the fact that a woman only wants him for what he can provide provide status-wise and item-wise? Is that something that some men actually brag about? That my partner doesn't want me because she loves me? She wants me because of my bank account? Yes and no. I mean, it's a, it's a. Can I say? We can say whatever we want. It's a. Uh, let's see. If I were gonna brag about my wealth, I wouldn't come out and be like, "Hey, I have a podcast." <laughs> I wouldn't say that. No, I'd be like, "Hey, people want to get with me to be on my podcast, right?" Like I'd twist the <laughs> words a little bit. That being said, like, the dude was 100% just, like, flaunting his wallet. And not, I guess, in a nicer way, not being like, yeah, you know, I own two boats. It's more, these women want to get with me because they can be on two boats. See, and I'm not going to lie that when I look at partners and stuff, there's... Things you consider. Can we have a comfortable life together? Stability. Yes. But it's, it's, I've been 
I've had partners who were successful and I've had partners who lived paycheck to paycheck. But as long as like money isn't the everything, as long as you can provide a comfortable home for yourself and your partner together, if that's like, I'm not saying that this man has to be able to provide a home for me. I'm saying as long as we can work together to provide a comfortable life, I don't think honestly it matters how much money a person makes. And it really makes me sad that there are people out there that would be with somebody just for status. As an eligible bachelor myself, hint, hint, wink, wink. <laughs> All the listeners out there, he's single. As an eligible bachelor myself, if my dating profile is set for women of a certain age in a certain city, because, you know, you can, you can set your radius to a certain X amount, right? So depending on where that radius starts, I have seen dating profiles that say, must make six figures. I have seen dating profiles that say, um, needs a bachelor's degree. I have seen dating profiles that say no children, uh, no pets, right? Like it's all what the other person puts in. I can only see them one way. And I can sadly say those materialistic requirements, own a house, six figures, this or that must drive. Some of them are normal, must drive. Like, that one's not a deal breaker, but you can see where it's coming from. If you live across the city and you can't drive an hour both ways, or you end up driving everywhere, it's going to be a drain on your wallet or something, right? So I get some of those. Some of them are really out to lunch, six figures and a house and a car, things like that. But the point is that... Sadly, I have seen a maybe third of all the dating profiles that I come across that we match. There is some sort of requirement either in the profile or it gets asked pretty much right away. You know, oh, what do you do? What's your salary band? And some of it is for future planning because... Depending on what your salary is, like, maybe you can't afford... A house in the Hamptons. Maybe you want a house in the Hamptons and two boats and vacation every winter. Right? I suppose that makes sense. It doesn't make me feel any better, though. Oh, no. It, it's icky. It, it, it is. It's gross. For me, you know, would a partner making a certain amount of money be wonderful? Yeah. Because ever since I was a little child, I wanted to be a housewife. All I ever wanted was to just stay home, raise babies, cook and bake, and, you know, I wanted to be my grandma. But now I'm an adult, and I have bills, and I have debts, and no matter what I idealized as a child, that would never happen because my own personal self can't put my burdens onto another person. So for me... I just can't imagine being like, okay, I got to find a man who can pay my bills. All right. So as a man, I'm going to ask this question. If you could pay all your bills and zero debt and all that, and you could financially provide for yourself, does, would that 
change your current dating quote-unquote requirements? No, because I think you fall for a person and not what they can offer you. Because a person's status could change on a dime throughout their life. But the way they treat you, that shouldn't change. Okay. That should be what you base a relationship on is how a person treats you, not the things they can offer you. That's good. I'm surprised it took us like four four or five episodes into the romance season to actually talk about dating stuff. <laughs> right. A little odd. Alright, so that leads us to the well-known, we ask it every week question, what was your favorite part and what was your least favorite part? The learning to dance montage was, was probably my favorite part, overarching part. Like, I am a dancer, I've taken dance lessons, and when you learn a new routine, like, you walk across a bridge dancing it, and when you get angry, you're kicking whatever the you can find yeah. like like i am no i i'm not a dancer i've said that that's you know i can follow a step i know the polka i know the two step i can i know the jive that they teach you in gym class but not the real jive <laughs> that being said though i am actually a singer and one thing that i could really see in that montage moment was Right before she went to go do that move, and she looked around. See, like, is anybody around? No, okay, I'm good. Now I'll go. I would do that all the time. If I was walking home from school and I was going through my scales, or I was trying to perfect this new, because we sang a lot in Latin. And then at a point when I was adult, I joined a choir, but to give myself some extra challenge, I decided to join a choir where they only sang in French, a language I do not speak. So it was a lot of everywhere I was going, I was singing the songs because I was trying to get the words phonetically down. And I would constantly be looking around like, does anybody see me? Anybody hear me? I'm acting like a fool. So I really resonated with that moment. So I agree with you. That was a good moment. Yeah. What was your least favorite moment? Honestly, right at the end of the movie, no one puts baby in a corner. <laughs> Like, for such an iconic line that has come across on, like, dozens, hundreds, thousands of pop culture references. Eminem literally has it in a song. Yeah, and it is literally, she is sitting in a corner, and all these is, no one puts baby in a corner. Like, like, metaphorically... Like, you know, you're backed into a corner. You don't, what are you going to do, right? Like, metaphorically, that line has a lot of weight. And it was so literal. That was my least favorite part of the movie, probably. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's others, but that was the last thing that shot into my head. And that is the only thing I can remember right now. That's fair. The thing that bothered me the most this watch around um Penny knew Baby knew much of the staff I'm sure knew but like here is Baby's dad blatantly being very rude to Johnny because he believes Johnny impregnated Penny and then sent her to have an abortion everybody knows he thinks this why throughout the entire time didn't anybody say to him, it, 
wasn't Johnny. Yeah, that's a good point. But I can write that off because the waiter is the guy who did it. And it seemed like they only had one waiter all the time. Like, I've gone to fancier resorts, and you have one waiter. Uh, well, yeah, because they have their section, and you'll be always seated at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, there's not a lot of interactions, and it didn't seem like the dad would be joining dance classes and other classes. Yeah, but the dad is providing a medical service to the woman who had an abortion. Why at no point was it asked of her or or her saying, like, this wasn't Johnny, this was Robbie. Baby, who knows that her dad is acting this way to Johnny because of that specific, again... It wasn't Johnny. Yeah, but baby is uh, baby is a, a child essentially, right? She maybe she doesn't understand that her father believes that Johnny, like, who is responsible for this girl? It's Johnny. Yeah, because Johnny got so, her the job. Johnny did this. Johnny would offer her money, but not. She's you know. too young to understand the weight behind who is responsible for this girl. Yes, Johnny literally says you would think that and walks away doesn't even defend himself just says you would think that and walks away like you have a daughter you know you have a daughter who is still attempting a relationship with this man who got your best friend pregnant and you're gonna walk away you're not gonna say no it wasn't me it's that creep who's dating lisa so what, Lisa can get in trouble? Yeah, but like macho bravado, you know. I can't I can break if that it off. Is, if it is macho bravado, I'm not a fan of macho bravado. You can't expect baby to stand up for you all the time. Grow some and stand up yourself. Alright. Well, the last question is always Bechdel, and we, oh, we know it yeah, past we, Bechdel, yeah. so let us move on to things you already know about a movie you already love. Or don't, but you love us, so it's close enough. <laughs> Patrick Swayze actually had to convince Jennifer Grey to be in this movie because their dislike didn't start in this movie. It started much earlier in 1984 in Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it did. And I do believe Patrick Swayze was hired on first because as the main star. He went in before... What's her name? Before Jennifer auditioned, they, like, had a powwow and got their chemistry just right mm -hmm. to pass through the first audition and their screen test. And that's why they were hired on. And then again, that faded, and they did not like each other. Again. You know what? I'm sort of okay with it, because, like, I think sometimes passionate dislike is still passion. And it still reads. So, on top of that passion, they hated each other. Well, I don't know. Hate. They passionately disliked each other. Yes. We have said hate. Is, I have yeah. said personally hate's a very strong word. It's yeah. a very, very strong word. So yeah, we'll say passionately yeah. disliked. Passionately disliked. 
uh, to the point where the production crew and everyone, uh, director, writers, everyone was actually worried about the love scenes and everything. The way they got around that was by showing their screen tests in auditions to each other. Be like, replicate that. Just act. And that's how they got around that. In an interview with AFI, which if I were to go off the top of my head, I'm going to say is the American Film Institute. Could be right, could be wrong. Uh, Swayze explained that he thought Dirty Dancing endured for so long because it's got so much heart. It's not about the sensuality. It's really about people trying to find themselves. This young dance instructor feeling like he's nothing but a product and this young girl trying to find out who she is in a society of restrictions when she's so open-minded about everything. It's, and I'm pretty sure I said that at the beginning of the movie with far less eloquence and grace. Yeah, no, this, uh, that little blurb makes me believe this movie and why it endured. I'm sorry. Patrick Swayze was offered $6 million to do a sequel. And do you remember how much this movie was? $6 million. Yeah, so he was, like, that is a big pay raise. But he was offered $6 million to do a sequel, and he declined, of course, and sequels aren't his thing, apparently, is the reason. And to be fair, his appearance in Havana Night, he appears in it twice and only speaks once. And you said it wasn't the same guy, so... Yes, he was not Johnny Castle. Yeah. Which we can confirm, because... Um... Dirty Dancing original is in 1963. And Havana Nights takes place in Cuba, just as Fidel Castro is coming to power, which was in 1959? 59, yeah, late 50s, so... Yeah. So... Yeah. It, it doesn't work out for him to be Johnny anyway. But his role was very, very minimal in, in Dirty Dancing. They made it look like he was going to be more involved in the sequel, in the previews, but really wasn't. And the movie didn't suffer it. No, you're right. Let's see. Next piece of trivia. <laughs> Swayze. Wore a girdle to make him look thinner and younger. Also, he is about 36 at the time of filming. I can't believe. Like, that's what blows my mind the most is maybe Patrick Swayze was just timeless. Maybe that's what it was because he just just so young and so handsome. Even as I'm watching the movie now, I was still just in by how handsome he was. Also, it really sucks talking about him in the past tense. But also, I never noticed the girdle, and he was wearing very tight clothing, so that must have been a good girdle. Mm-hmm. The part of Baby's mother was originally given to Lynn Lipton, who is briefly visible in the beginning, when the Houseman family first pulls into Kellerman's. She's in the front seat for a few seconds. Her blonde hair is the only indication. But this actress became ill during the first week of shooting and was replaced by Kelly Bishop, who, since I did it with the other guy, I gotta do it with this, to our generation is probably best known 
as Lorelai Gilmore's mother on Gilmore Girls. I am sorry that that's what you're best known for, Kelly Bishop. Anywho. So she, she'd already been cast to play Vivian Pressman. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So can you imagine Baby's mom? Like, mm. it, and I see it because towards the end, they really did make Baby's mom very sensual. Like, oh, I think she gets that from me. And I'm like, yeah, so I can see Kelly Bishop playing Vivian Pressman, but I think Vivian Pressman was perfect. Oh, and do we know who played Vivian Pressman? Because this is kind of neat, too. The role of Vivian Pressman after Kelly Bishop had to move to play Baby's mother was taken on by Miranda Garrison, who wasn't an actress, but was the film's assistant choreographer. Ah, that is actually pretty interesting. Uh, This movie also only has experienced dancers in the film. The director wanted to avoid problems with dance doubles and, you know, adjusting cameras and stuff like that. Uh, and it was really easy to tell that everybody was doing their oh own yeah, they dancing. knew how to move. Yeah, because one of the first things I said was, like, I'm really annoyed. Like, you can tell the dance, dip, like, the differing abilities between Patrick Swayze and um, the blonde woman that played Penny because that one move she kept doing where she just, like, kicked up her leg and pulled up her dress. It's like... That's been repeated a lot. Yeah, it's like her third move in her entire repertoire. Yeah. That's it. Because, <clears throat> I mean, every other dance she was doing behind beyond that was the choreographed mambo. Mm-hmm. The song I've had at the time of my life was voted number 86 on AFI's 100 Years 100 Songs. Also, I can now confirm AFI is the American Film Institute. 86. And now, see, now I gotta go look at that list to find out what the number one song is. And thanks to the magic of editing. And internet. We know what the list is. So, I mean, for the curious. In my personal opinion, number four should be number one, but okay. Number one song on the AFI 100 Years 100 Songs. So, all movies, or all songs across all movies for the last 100 years. Yeah. Number one, Over the Rainbow. From The Wizard of Oz. Number two, As Time Goes By, Casablanca. Number three, Singing in the Rain. Gene Kelly, man. Gene Kelly is a... Now, number four should be number one. Number four is Moon River from Breakfast at Tiffany's, performed by Audrey Hepburn, and is probably one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard a star sing in a movie. Number five, White Christmas. Christmas classic. Number six, Miss Robinson. Are we going to say all 100? No. Seven, When You Wish Upon a Star. Eight. The Way We Were, Barbara Streisand. That is a... That's an an awesome song. Sorry. Number nine, Staying Alive. And number ten. Really? I always thought it was John Travolta who actually was singing it. No, Oh my god. Big blonde moment. Dude. You lost points right there. Number 10, The Sound of Music. Really? 
Okay, I get that, like, the Sound of Music is a good musical, but of all the songs in there, they're going to say that the Sound of Music is the best song in that movie? No, but you just quoted that song. It's probably the only song that people know from the movie. Uh-uh. Ah. Uh-uh. Ah. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. First of all, my favorite things is Iconically Famous. Climb Every Mountain is historically known as one of the hardest songs to sing ever. Then why would people like it? If they can't karaoke it. Gorgeous. They can't karaoke it. That's not asking what songs can you karaoke. It's asking what are the hundred best songs over a hundred years. Back to Dirty Dancing. You know I'm going to put a poll on our Insta. And I would love if you guys could tell us when you think of The Sound of Music... What song do you think of? Because I'm pretty sure it's not going to be The Sound of Music. Yeah, it is. See, because I'm going through my entire brain right now, and the only thing I can come up with is The Hills Are Alive with The Sound of, featured in multiple different sitcoms, different movies. Like, it is literally everywhere. Anyways, back to this movie. Interesting fact. Penny had that scene where she was in pain and agony. Anyways, the crew had a really big issue doing her makeup because she was too pretty to make look like she was in agony. I think that's a little off. Like, I feel like someone said that to her in, uh... I know, it's been said to, like, women throughout time, like, you're so pretty, I don't know how we made them ugly. Or... Remember when Charlize Theron was in Monster and everyone's like, this beautiful woman, look at how ugly they made her. It's amazing. It was so hard. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that one would get you. (laughs) Now that I've had my passionate moment for the episode. (laughs) On a television talk show segment featuring brothers of famous actors, Patrick Swayze's brother, Don said that Patrick was a much better dancer than shown in the film. Yes, he was a professional ballroom dancer. Since the character of Johnny Castle wasn't a professional, Patrick had to tone down his moves. Yeah. Which is funny because what was, like, as we were watching it, I had said to you, like, even if you were trying to hide it, he can't hide that he's a professional dancer. You can't fake that posture. No. He knows what he was doing. Yeah. Like, he would be on Dancing with the Stars and Len Goodman would have given him tens. Except he couldn't be on Dancing with the Stars because he was a professional ballroom dancer. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that's cheating. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. This is the... I think this will round off our trivia here unless you have others. But this was the first movie to ever sell a million copies on home video. VHS. I love that we're ending it with that because as the most successful movie of all time, which I'm not sure it's the most successful movie of all time, but it's the most successful. No, I don't know. (laughs) Probably. But the most successful movie that we've watched yet. I love that it's being ended on most profitable. Say most profitable because success can be looked other ways. Oh, it's highest grossing now. We got to do a full chart for that. Yeah. So we will find out for you and we will have it within our 
um, our post when we announce this episode, you will see a graph that Neil is going to be badgered into making showing the profitability because that's that's how we're going to measure the successful film is just by profitability and it's going to take a while because we got to do some math and counting for inflations man neil's gonna hate you (laughs) Uh, this is your idea and when you tell him leave me out of it but that does round up things you already know about a movie you probably already love so what's up what's next what are we doing? Well, I'm pretty sure we're going to have to get really dad jokey up in here. How do you make a dad joke about dirty dancing? I'm actually intrigued for this joke because dirty dancing kind of makes me think this is not going to be a dad joke. It's going to be a dirty joke. I have talents. Many, many talents when it comes to jokes. And finding one about dancing was not difficult. It's a little known fact that all crime authors are great dancers. They're great at the twist. All right, I don't hate it. That's actually <laughs> that's actually pretty good. That's actually pretty good. I don't know if I'd call it a dancing joke, but you know. You know what? I can't really look up dirty dancing puns, so I had to just find a pun about dancing. And a lot of puns you find when you want to be corny go into the kid category and we keep things more PG-13 than are rated. Yeah, we do. So I couldn't get onto like the more crass side of the puns either. It is a line I walk every week. (laughs) Oh man. But anyways. Yes. We are done for this week. I just realized Dirty Dancing was meant to be last, and I moved it forward. So, are we done this season? We're not. We still have to finish the other movies chosen, but... But as I said, I had forgotten all about, like, I didn't even remember that I had this set up for the last movie. So we still do have a really great movie for the last movie. Should I tell you what the last movie is? Do you want to know? So is you it look forward to it? Is it the movie that ends off this season? Yeah, the movie that'll end off this season. Do you oh. want to know what movie that's going to be? No, All I right. do not. I am going to go into this 100% blind. I like this. All right, well then join us next week. We are going to go away from the classic, away from deep romance. No, it's still pretty romantic, but more... Are we back into that Sci-fi. supernatural? Yes, we're getting a little bit of a supernatural element. Join us next week as we watch Above the Shadows. Sounds good. As for this week, we out. We out.